Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, before you sit down, turn to the person next to you and say, I love it when you sing. I love it. I love it when you sing. Uh, if they didn't sing, you just say, start singing. The worship team loves it when you sing. We, we love it when, you know, it's always, it's always helpful to, to sing because it keeps you from believing the lie that this maybe is like a concert. It's not a concert. It's, it's not even an event. It's something very unique. There's nothing in the world like it. It's a time where we sing, and we sing not because we feel like it or we even like the songs, but because God is drawing us to this deeper understanding of who He is. And so for you, maybe that's something you've done your whole life. Uh, or for some of you, maybe that's kind of really brand new. You're just kind of learning about church, spirituality, God. We're just happy you're here, and we're just happy that we get to do this together. Summertime is a weird feeling as well. Summertime, this summer is weird. If you're watching from anywhere else outside of this province, uh, this has been a weird summer for many of us, kind of a lot of rain. Uh, we're not sure like what's happening with the weather. We had obviously, uh, many of you know, a, a pretty scary few days with some of the weather here in Quebec, but we get a chance to learn together. And we're actually continuing a series uh, on how to pray and how to think about prayer, but not just how to pray and not just a, a series about how much we should pray, but also this series is about how when we pray, we are also being drawn into this new understanding of what it means to grow up as Christians. To pray in such a way that God stirs us to become more mature and to trust Him in new ways. And maybe that's new for you. It was always a new idea for me. I think about prayer and I often think about like just little kids praying. I think of my kids praying when they're young and, and that there's different kinds of prayers. But if you're, I've used, I've used this phrase before. If you're still praying now the way you were praying when you became a Christian, something's wrong. Right? Like you should be growing in how you pray. You should be growing in understanding what prayer means and, and that God draws us into this deep conversation with Him. And sometimes that even requires silence. Sometimes that's just understanding God's presence. Sometimes it's discernment. You're learning how to make choices and decisions that honor God with your life. And so maybe that's kind of where you're at this season. But this week I realized how important a series like this is because I read a tweet by this person. You maybe have heard of him. His name is Elon Musk. Any of you ever hear of this gentleman? Uh, he's in the billionaire echelon level of, of people, some of you. Some of you don't know who he is, and that's okay. It's because God loves you more than the rest of us, and he's protecting you from nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But th this week, I, I read a tweet from Elon Musk. He's uh, the owner of Twitter and very popular uh, uh, YouTube personality and tech uh, entrepreneur. He said this in one of his tweets. He said, you're free to be your true self here on one of these tweets. And this was a, is a tweet that was posted on Twitter And it's probably like a great business move to remind people that what you offer them is what helps them be their true self. This is good business. This is good business savviness. Uh, and, and I think that in some ways, so much of our culture is captured by a quote like this, 
We all want to live in a place where we can just be ourselves. Not only yourself, but your true self. And so many people are trying to figure out, like, what is your true self? How do you learn to be your true self? But then nobody really tells you what happens when you start to dislike your true self. What happens when you start to not like who you are becoming? Then what do you do? Then who do you talk to and what do you say? When you realize that who you're becoming actually is not someone who's honoring God, is not someone who loves your family more, but is actually somebody who's more bitter, more angry, and all these other challenges, what happens then? And so much of our culture is shaped on this idea. This idea that all you need to do is find out who your true self is and tell people, and if they don't like it, too bad for them. Right? That's kind of the the way to go. But the truth is, is that Christianity calls us to this much deeper place. It's actually a more human place. It's a place that helps us to understand what to do when we realize that some things of who we're becoming are not God-honoring. And actually, what Jesus actually will do, he'll say that your true self is found when you learn to deny parts of yourself. I mean, nobody wants that. And if we let our culture just decide how we understand who we are, one thing we'll do is prayer will soon follow suit. And prayer is one of those gifts from God to pay attention to the person we're becoming and whether some of those things in us need to be to surrender to God in a new way. I think of times in my life, a few of them in my life, where I remember being so disappointed with the person that I was becoming. Has that ever happened to you? You have these ideas, and you're like, this is who I really am, and you tell yourself who you really are, and then a few people that you trust along the way start to say things to you that you don't want to hear. And you're like, ah, forget them, they don't know me, they're, they're too negative, I'm getting rid of them. And I realized that enough of the people that I trusted were telling me the same thing. And a moment of confession. This started to happen to me when we started this church. One of the first few things as we started the church, I remember feeling a certain anxiety and a certain stress and a certain worry and all of these things. And some people in my life, mentors, people who love me, people I could really trust, were saying certain things to me that was like a pattern. And I realized that something was happening in me that was not God-honoring, but I was acting like I was, right? Like, I mean, I'm planting the church. I'm the pastor. Obviously, I'm more spiritual than people, right? Right? But that's not true. It happens to all of us. That who we want to be and who we know God's calling us to be is not a magic thing that just happens. We don't just post about it and be like, this is my true self. We become our true selves as we surrender ourselves to the ways of God. That's very different than the way the world talks about our true self. And so I'm so happy we're doing this series on praying because prayer is that space where we listen carefully, where God says, hey, hey, this part of your life, this is not a reflection of me, and this part of your life is not really who I've called you to be. And so we get to this honest place of where do we go when we don't like the person we've become? Who do we tell? Where is it safe to just say, I need help with this? The Bible helps us with this. And if you, on vacation, you're going away and you're going to miss some of these, I want to encourage you to just tune in and watch online if you can. I know some people in our church are away. Pastor Michael's away. Some are traveling in Europe. Dave is right. Uh, some are in Cuba. Some are whatever. You know, they're just different places. And uh, we, we don't pray for them when they're away because we're just bitter. We just, we just don't talk about them. But, uh, but, you know, summertime is a great time to say, God, this is a season that I want to just grow in my prayer life. And I want to get honest about what's happening inside of my heart and in my mind. And if you haven't been here, I want to just remind you that the Psalms, which is a section of the Bible, almost right in the middle of your Bible, right, is about 150 uh, hymns and sacred prayers that we have. It's, It's a beautiful gift. And every time I read the Psalms, maybe you've never realized this, you're kind of reading someone's journal entry 
I don't know about you, like, I would never let anybody read my journal entry. I won't even let people, some people read my emails. But the gift of, like, having the prayers of people who share from this deep place and to let us read them and that God uses these prayers and calls us to this deeper place of prayer is beautiful. I'm just going to have a slide for you just to show you some of the themes in the Psalms if you're reading the Psalms. That some of the Psalms deal with something called national celebrations. This is the hardest types of Psalms for us. They have to do with the people of God celebrating that they're a nation and that God loves them. This is tricky for us because we don't think of our relationship with God through the government. It's very different. Like we're more of like separation of the government and the church. But in the ancient world, that wasn't the case. The Jewish people read the Psalms and they read the Psalms as a promise of God to help them be the nation, the people of God. So some Psalms are like that. I'm going to address that a little bit this morning. Other Psalms are like so common for us. They're personal fears and doubts. What do you do when you start to doubt what you learned in church when you were 18 doesn't connect when you're 38? Where do you go? You maybe come to like a midweek teaching on the Bible, maybe, just as an idea. Some churches do those, where you realize, I I need to grow up in how I understand the Bible, how I understand the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, sometimes there's moments of fears and doubts, and you're living in that. Or maybe you have a child or a grandchild that is in that season. This morning, the psalm we're going to look at holds together national celebrations and fears and doubts together. It's almost like they both come together. But maybe for you, they're just like moments where you're just so encouraged and inspired and in a season of joy, and the psalms are full of like prayers of celebrating God's wonder, His goodness, how creation speaks of how good God is. There's those kinds of psalms as well. And the last one maybe is, is a hard one or something you remember in your life of just this restlessness Like, we're not sure why we're never happy. We're not sure why if only we had the next thing or the next thing, there's something going on deep inside. Or we feel like a sense of rejection, that God is not listening, that he's silent, that he's never going to answer our prayers. I mean, the Psalms are these beautiful prayers that kind of catch all these things in our lives. And maybe some of you, you've started to go through some of these Psalms. I know some of you have. You've emailed me. You're like, Pastor Dom, I'm reading some of these. Or some of you were in a difficult situation. Someone this week was going through a difficult situation with someone in the hospital, and they just reached out and, you know, they just asked about what to, what to pray. And I just said, read this psalm. This will help you. Not the psalm we're looking at today, another psalm. But, you know, but maybe that's you. You're just learning how to do that. Maybe for you, you don't even have a Bible. And you're like, I would love to read these prayers, but I don't really know what to do. We would love to give you one for free. So just, we'd love to just kind of hand you one on your way out. Just go see our team. We'd love to give you a Bible just to help you to grow in this area. I want to just highlight that as you're going through these psalms, you'll get stuck on certain sections. So don't get discouraged. If you read a psalm that feels long and you're like, well, that's hard. Like, I don't know. That's kind of weird. Like, just say, hey, maybe I need to grow in this area. I'm going to read another psalm. You know, just maybe do that. Like, if you land on Psalm 121, you'll, you'll maybe see something like this. This is a psalm that I think about often. And you can go to the next slide. Uh, it, it says this, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, unless you put sunscreen on. That's important, right? Nor the moon by night. So you get to a psalm like this, you're like, it's talking about creation. It's talking about the goodness of God. But it's also talking about an idea that people in the ancient world believed. That sometimes the elements of the world, creation, can affect or cause hurt to us on earth. Now, that's kind of a tricky thing. How many of you have ever heard the word lunatic in English? The word lunatic actually comes from this idea. That someone who's in a strange way manipulated by the moon, which is what? In Latin, luna, is being impacted by creation and they're acting weird. Now some of you just realize that's what's wrong with your kids. You're like, I, now I know. You're welcome. You're welcome. 
that's what we're about. No, I'm kidding. It's not none of that at all. Uh, but you'll get to Psalms like this and you don't realize, you're like, we don't understand the sun and the moon maybe in the same way. So reading the Psalms also will stretch how you think about what you believe. And how Christians go back to these psalms and they, they hear them as prayers, but we also hear them in new ways today, in deeper ways today. And so this morning, I want to take you into a psalm uh, that's going to draw you into a story. Some psalms have backstories, okay? A backstory is actually, we know the story that's happening in someone's life when they write the psalm. Now, not all psalms do this. Some of these prayers are just prayers. They're, they're kind of standalone which is beautiful as well. But this one I thought would help us to maybe hear these prayers as part of like a bigger shape of the Bible, what's happening in someone's life. And it's a psalm that has 11 verses in it. It's Psalm 63, and it brings together what does it mean to trust God when you're afraid? What does it mean to really think about fear from a biblical perspective? How do you do that? I know people that are afraid, and I've been afraid. Maybe this week we've heard enough about storms and we're afraid. And you know what? I realize no matter who you are, that when someone is afraid, if you say to them, don't be afraid, guess what happens? It doesn't work. And it gets me so mad because I'm like, just don't be afraid. Like my son is like that, right? He's nervous. He's scared about something. I'm like, just stop it. Don't be afraid. And he's like, "Mm, no, no, he won't cry. (laughs) But it's like it doesn't really help. You actually need a deeper-rooted place in who you are to deal with fear. You actually have to let God make you a different kind of person because some of the most dangerous things that lead us to fear show up in ways where we can't prepare for them. It's not like you can practice when this happens. Now, there are certain fears that we can prepare for. The Bible has a unique way that God calls us into new things. Uh, Taking a risk, that can be fearful, that can be the unknown, all those things. Let's just call that like small f fear, like just general fear that we feel. I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that when we announced that our church in the fall is going to two gatherings, I was a little bit like afraid. Like a little bit nervous and worried and overwhelmed and excited and joyful, but I know that's the right thing. And our elders have been praying, and that's exciting. And some of you just heard that for the first time, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what up? You've been away. We miss you. Okay. So the the thing is that there's certain fears that are more natural to us, and some of those we're encouraged into. It's a step of faith. It's going to be a bit scary. It's okay. But then there's other kinds of fears. They're the kinds of fears that grip our hearts, and they almost destabilize how we pray, what we believe. They make it hard to sleep. They, they, those kinds of fears are fears that, that the devil often will use to create other concerns that come in. Can you really trust God? What about your kids? What about your future? What about, it's like fear just consumes you. And Psalm 63 is one of those prayers. It's a prayer of someone who's incredibly afraid. One of the most unexpected things about this psalm, if you're taking notes, you want to have a backstory for it, is that it has to do with a king named Saul. And it has to do with a young leader who's about to be the king, and his name is David. And what's important about this story, for you to know the backstory, is that Saul has become someone who is no longer his true self. Saul has, over time, lost the vision of who he was supposed to be as a king, and he's someone that when he sees himself, if he was honest, he would say, I hate who I have become. But he's the king. You don't tell people that when you're the king. It's it's like weak to say that when you're the king. But everybody knows that Saul is not the kind of king that Israel wanted or needs. And the most amazing thing happens, that if you read the story, 
God says to the people, I understand, Saul will soon be removed. And David, this young, let's just say teenager, growing man, he's going to be the new king. That's the backstory of this moment of the psalm. So before I read it, you just feel that tension of like, you know, governments fighting, armies. Not that we have those issues today, but it's in the Bible, like those kinds of things, okay? And in the book of Samuel, I want to give you like just a feeling, just a little, little bit of feeling of the kind of fear that we're dealing with. Because in Samuel, we have kind of the backstory of the psalm. It says this, David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness, and Saul hunted him day after day. I don't know if that ever happened to you. Someone wants to kill you, and the next day they don't, they're coming again. Day after day, David's like, I'm going to die. Today I'm going to die. Tomorrow I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Jonathan, who's Saul's son, went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid. Jonathan reassured him, my father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. Mind-blowing. You have a king whose life is so off the rails that even his son can't tell him, Dad, like you're insane. That now Jonathan, Saul's son, is going to David and saying, David, I know you're nervous. Like God is with you. We know that God has prayed over you and we know that you're going to be the next king. Like we know this. But not yet. You're going to have to trust God in this season of fear. You're going to have to trust that God has some things that he's doing to prepare you maybe for when you're going to be king. I don't know if you think about this in your own life, seasons where things go off the rails and you start to feel like this is not what I signed up for. And in your heart, you have like a vision of what you wanted. You have expectations like David, like he's the new king. He didn't expect things to begin like this. I often find this when I meet young couples who've just been married. I always warn them. I'm like, hey, we're going to go through some pre-marriage counseling. And then a few weeks after you get married, you're going to feel like you married the wrong person. Right? Some of you bypass that because you're amazing, but whatever. In general, most people, right? You're like, I didn't sign up for this. This is like, and you know, you work through that and you get through the other side. But thinking that every day somebody wants to kill you, that's another level. I'm sorry. Like I had a bad week this week. Visit people in the hospital. Uh, Bev has been sick. Some of you, we had a bad week. But I can't compare to this where every day I get up and I'm thinking today, Sideshow Bob is going to show up. No, you know, some of you got that. Okay, so, <laughs> some of you got that. Sorry, it's 70s, 80s, just all came back. Uh, somebody's going to get you and you're going to die. David, every day, every day. What kind of prayers would you write? What kind of things would you cry out to God about? How many of you, if you're honest, would say that's a moment where you'd start to doubt whether God is even real? Sign me up. I'd be like, man, I've been so faithful. I'm trying to do the right thing. How is it that someone wants to kill me? So I want you to feel a bit of this fear as you hear Psalm 63. I want you to think that David at some point is going to start to reflect on what's happened. Now, this is really important, okay? We're just going to go just a little bit deeper for some of you. Some of you are ready for this. You came to church, you want to learn. It's a good place, okay? Is that this psalm is not written when David is running for his life. Okay, he's not running around with a notebook writing on prayers. He's not doing that. Many of the Psalms are David reflecting on that time in his life and remembering how God was with him, and then he writes the Psalm, okay? So it's, when you read the Psalm, you'll feel like a past, present, future feel in the Psalm. And that's also how we pray, right? Just think about your prayers. Are you praying about something that's happened in the past that God has to forgive? What are you going to deal? Are you praying about something right now? Are you praying about something you hope happens? It's very normal for how we pray. 
And this is how Psalm 63 begins. It's beautiful. It says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. This is kind of the beginning of the verses of this psalm. Throughout this series, you know we've done this. We've tried to really help you. Is We're going to almost go verse by verse through each psalm so you can kind of see how to read it, how to study it. It's going to help you grow in your own understanding of the Bible. That's one of the great blessings, by the way, of having a Bible today. Nobody in the Bible times read the Bible verse by verse. We made that up because it helps us. And Verses and chapters in the Bible is a way later invention. Uh, but this is how David begins this psalm. He thinks about like there was a time where I was going to die and God showed up. And now I want to think again what it was like that when everything around me was feeling like it was falling apart, I remembered this. I remembered that God, when I searched for him, he showed up. I remember this. And David begins to hold these ideas of what it means to search God, not only with his soul, but with his body and with his mind and thinking about this. And maybe for you, like you, you, you're thinking about like, how do I do this? How do you search for God? Like, where do you go looking for him? This is a real important part of learning how to pray. Learning how to pray is not searching for God in a secret room in your house. Learning to search for God is learning to develop the discipline to know when God shows up where you are. And you recognize that he's there. And David is going to hold these things together by remembering that there was one place that the Jewish people believed God's presence was always there in the sanctuary, in the parts of the temple where they went to pray and worship. God's presence was always there. And now David's going to say, no, no, God's presence is not only there, God's presence can be found also here in a place where things are dry and lonely and quiet. And the word that he uses is the word wilderness. Such a good word. It's good for Bible. It's kind of weird for us because we don't really walk into the wilderness for fun. We do it for camping, and if you're camping types, Right? The wilderness in the Bible was something people went in and they never came out. So, so David says, God, I know that you're so loving and powerful and I've seen that power in places where people worship you, but I want to be able to see that power now where I am in a season of dry and kind of dark and wondering where you are. Would you show me where you might be? Will you just reveal yourself that you're here and you love me and you care for me? I don't know about you, like when, when you're all singing on a Sunday morning, I feel the Lord is here, right? When everybody's worshiping, I'm like, oh, that was amazing. Dave, I love the song. If you're sitting next to me over there, oh, you're going to feel it. I'm a great singer. Right over there? Just sit in the front. You'll hear me singing all the way through. Don't laugh. <laughs> you want to laugh? Because side, side point, it's not, the side point. Sometimes the sound people put my mic on early and they hear me singing. Before, before I come up, and, and they often will say to me, hey, uh, Pastor Dom, when you're singing, when the YouTube feed, we have to turn you off because it's not that not nice. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> we got rid of those people, but it, it was a, <laughs> but they were telling me the truth because <laughs> I sometimes turn my mic on and I'm singing and I'm like, yes, and then I'm like, how do I take this, package this in a bottle and take it with me when I have a meeting at work? And I feel like it's all falling apart. Like, how do I do that? You learn how to pray. You learn how to remember that God is faithful in seasons where it's joyful and exciting and there's a sense of power and community and just we're on this together. And you're saying, God, I need that same strength. 
those promises to be real when I'm in the wilderness. This is so beautiful. And this is such a grown-up prayer to remember that even when you're going through a difficult time, God's presence can be available to you there. It's so important. If you don't learn this in your prayer life, you will start to do something that's so dangerous that we often hear in our culture where people say, you know what, when bad things happen to you, it's because God, you know, you did something wrong. In our culture, that's how karma works, by the way. People are like, oh, I believe in karma. Karma is like if you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. And if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. That's not a Christian idea or a biblical idea. God loves you so much that even when you're in the wilderness and you don't know where he is, he will find you there. That's, that's how good God is. And David in this prayer is like, okay, I remember. We're not sure exactly what David's going through now, but he's working that out in his mind. He's wrestling through that. He's praying that. You can pray that. A season of maybe feeling like the joy is not what it used to be. Not as exciting, but you're searching for where God might be saying to you, I love you and I'm here. It says next, it's so profound. He says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. I, I love this song. I, I, when I got to this part this week, I just stopped and I sent a note to, to Dave, he's leading worship, and I said, I think we sing a song that has these words in it. We sing a song that talks about what it means to believe that God's love is greater than life itself. And then I stopped and I said, do I believe that? Like, do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter how good your life gets, there's something that's greater than that? You believe that no matter how much God blesses you, there's something that's greater than that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's unfailing love is so great that no matter what we experience in this life, which, by the way, are really, really good things because God loves us, there's this moment where we have to realize that there's an experience with God that awaits us that even is beyond this life. And prayer is that space where we learn what that is. Remember, what David is thinking about is that he might be losing his what? His life. He's thinking about, I remember a time where I almost died. They wanted to kill me. I don't want to belabor the point, but like this week, we all got the alerts on your phone. Right? We're like, I don't think I got this close to the feeling of like nervous and storm and my family. We all had different responses. Some of you like got your kids. Some of you like forget your kids. You got your dog. Some of you left everybody and went in your car. I don't know. You deal with it with God. You have problems. But I'm just saying, we rarely have moments where God tests us. Do you believe me that I'm greater than your life itself? Do you believe me? And we all say, yeah, yes. We sing the song, yes, until it happens. And this is so important that you see this, that as David is thinking about his life and how he almost lost his life, and that now he's maybe in a new situation where he has to be reminded of that, he thinks about the one thing you're going to do after this life is done, which is worship God. He holds together that when death comes and we meet the one who loves us more than life itself, we will be worshiping him. So you know what? You better practice now. Because that's what he says. I, I'm just going to praise you. Because like, I remember when it was almost over and I was singing and I was just learning to praise you because if I die, that's the only thing you're going to do when you die. We're not learning the Bible in heaven. We're not actually doing like Bible studies. We're actually not doing evangelism. We're worshiping. That's what's waiting for you. So if you hate all of this, it's going to be rough. 
David says, I learned to kind of in the season of deep fear, I learned to understand that there's something even greater than life itself. But if all those things were taken away, God's love would still be enough to carry me through everything and that I'm ready to meet him face to face. Ready to join in in the worship of the I'm just ready to worship. And, and this is the verse that I often think about when some of you in our church, you know, you're really expressive in your worship, you're courageous, you even lift your hands when you worship. It's beautiful. It actually comes from the Bible. It's this image of just saying, I raise my hands, because raising your hands is just this image of like surrender. It's an image of surrender, and if you ever raise your hand, a lot of times, unfortunately, it's an image of like, if you go to a sporting event and they want to check you to make sure you're not hiding anything. You ever do that? They put you through the scan. The airport, right? You put your hands up, right? They're just checking. When you raise your hand, you're almost saying to God, check me. Check every part of me. Check my heart. Check my mind. Check me. My body. I want to be so transparent, God, that I'm ready to do and to go wherever you call me to go. Even if I'm afraid, I'm going to trust you. It's pretty profound. The next verse, we get a glimpse of what starts to happen when fear loses its grip. Like I just, this will help you. This will help you every single day. This is a sign that as you're praying, you're moving out of a place of being fearful and into a place of trusting God more. This happens. It's the most beautiful thing. It says this, I lay awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. I don't know about you, but for me, like oftentimes if I'm up at night, I'm not thinking about God. I'm thinking about all these things that I'm worried about. But can you imagine getting to this place that even if you wake up at night, fear has lost such a grip on you that you're like, it's okay. I'm not afraid. I'm up at night. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm a bit overwhelmed. But I've learned to pray grown-up prayers so that even in this season, I'm going to trust God. I lay here and I'm thinking of God and I'm, I'm just learning to maybe meditate. Maybe for some of you, this is something that you've had to learn over the years. As a pastor over the years, one of the things I've, I've learned with some people is they've been with people who've been dying at a bedside at a hospital and they've just read the Psalms to them as just a sign of just saying, I'm awake all night, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me next, but I've just learned to just let my thinking be shaped by God's unfailing love. That's what I want. I want more of that in my life. And I want to learn to pray these kinds of prayers now so that when I get to those moments in my life, I'm not overwhelmed by them. I've actually been formed by God to be that kind of person. Because if you don't learn to do this now, when these moments in life happen, you will start to wonder whether God is even there. This is the gift of these prayers, these psalms that we get to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to finish with the last section of these psalms. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And they're going to sing for us a song. They're going to help us to think about what it means that we get to sing that God's unfailing love is better than life itself. We're going to sing that together. And we're going to believe that. And we're going to believe it in such a way that we're going to want our kids to believe it as well. Because at the end of this prayer, the end of the psalm, David takes us back to this probably the darkest place he's been in the psalm. It says this, But those plotting to destroy me, King Saul at that time, will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become food for jackals, of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. The king there, by the way, is David. The king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him, while liars will be silenced. This is a weird way to end the psalm, by the way. 
It's a weird way to end. Praise, trusting God, worship, getting through fear. And then there's this moment where it's almost like David realizes that the reason that Saul got the way he got, maybe, is he had people who didn't tell him the truth. That people who lied to him, people who allowed him to get to the place, Saul will be disobedient as a king, and David now is a king, and he's realizing that those who came for Saul can come for me. That Saul will die, Jonathan will die, and he realizes that maybe there's something about that lesson that must shape the way he learns how to pray. I'll tell you like a leadership rule that I live by, and many of our staff hear me talk about this, that to be a leader, one of the things you need to learn is how to be a follower. And it's always good to take orders from someone before God entrusts you to give orders to someone. This is a good rule in life. That's why if somebody ever becomes a boss who's never been, you know, taking orders, they're always kind of the worst boss. They forget what it's like to tell someone to go do something. I think there's something about this prayer that David's realizing. I get a chance to learn about how Saul made some real mistakes. And as I am the king now, I better learn that I need people in my life who are going to tell me the truth, who are not silenced, and those are the people that will tell me what I need to hear even when I do not want to hear it. Now, this psalm for us is, is maybe different in the sense, I don't have a jackal in my backyard. Some of your translations say a fox that's coming to get you. They're going to kill you. But the deeper meaning is that there's so many things in your life and in my life that if they're left unattended, will kill you. They will kill you. They will destroy your family. They will ruin your business. They will ruin the future of your kids. All of those things. They're there. There are all these things that are there. And you know what I've learned in my life? That when fear takes root, all those things are like, they show up in new ways. And this prayer, David's like, I, I remember. I remember the wilderness. I remember how I had to learn to see God even in the brokenness. I remember that he loves me even greater than my life. And he, he's going to teach me how to worship him and be ready to meet him if I have to. But most of all, I learned that I need people in my life to, to tell me the truth. Prayer is that space where we become so honest and that other people start to come into our lives where we can trust them because our true self is only found when we learn how to deny ourselves. That's what we learn. This is such a grown-up prayer. And it's amazing because it's a prayer that's done by a king who's now leading and is remembering his life and is wrestling with all of this. It's so much wisdom for us about how to deal with fear and how to get honest and how to trust God and how to grow in worship and how to surrender everything to God. So I'm going to have us just stand. And maybe you've never heard this song. But it captures the words of this psalm, and I'm going to come up and close in just a minute. So let's sing it together. Take this life, you're one I'm living for. Take this life, you're the one I'm living for, and I give it all to you, I give it all to you, 
hearts to beat again And God, your praise will ever be upon my lips And I give it all to you I give it all to you And your
that the psalm has a spoiler. Saul never killed David. David became the king of Israel. And he gives us these prayers in good times in his life, in horrible times in his life. And the more you read the prayers of David in the psalms, you realize that David, no matter how good he was of a king, would not be enough for the people to experience healing. Would not be enough that one will have to come who will be called in the line of the king, son of David, he will come. He will come and fulfill all of these psalms in a way none of you prepared for. What a gift for us to now go back and read these psalms and realize Jesus is living out of these psalms. He's pointing to them. He's reading them. If you don't do that, by the way, we would just all be Jewish. But we're not. We're Christians. That means we've understood that Jesus comes as the fulfillment of all of these psalms. And one day, Jesus will be teaching, and his teaching will be mind-blowing. The crowds will come from everywhere. Even people who hate him are like, when this guy teaches, it's something about him. And he'll stop, and he'll look at the crowd. And he'll say this to people who are listening. It's the most profound thing he could say at that moment, because he was getting super popular. It says this. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. That Jesus will come and say the most important thing that we learn when we pray grown-up prayers, that your true self is found when you listen to God and learn how he's telling you to deny yourself. This is hard to do. That's why you're going to need people in your life, we're going to tell you the truth about who you're becoming. And if you don't think that matters, go back and read about the life of Saul. When the people, they just lied to him. It's fine. It's going to be fine. David running for his life. His son is going to die. His life is a mess. David is like, I need to write about this. I need a prayer for this. Psalm 63. This week. Take some time. Just read it again. Read it slowly, verse by verse. Just say, God, I need help with this. I need help to understand that there's something greater than life itself, and it's your love for me and my family. I need help to understand what it means when I'm up at night that I don't have to be afraid, but I could surrender my cares and my worries to you. I need help with that. You'll go through each of us. Some of you are going to get even edgier, and you're going to set aside Thursday night and be here with us so we can learn the Bible better. See you then. But before I let you go, let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for revealing to us what it's like to have a father 
who would love us as much as sending you, that you would give up your life for us to understand this love in a new way. Many of us feel the pressures of this life, the feeling of being in the wilderness, the feeling of being afraid, the feeling of just uncertainty. But we want to learn how to pray, Jesus. We want to learn how to pray in a way that helps us to grow and to trust you more. I pray for everyone listening in this room and online, on a podcast, that they would begin to take just one step of faith to surrender their fear, no matter what it looks like, so that they would know what it's like that you are with them even in the wilderness. Would you be with us as a church as we know how easy it is for us to also lose our way and to forget that you are a God who's calling us to deeper places as well. Help us as we continue to grow and trust you and learn to pray grown-up prayers this season. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you'd like to talk and process some of this, we just have a prayer space here. We'd love to connect with you. For some of you, we'll see you on Thursday night. Make sure you sign up. If you'd like to give, you can do that out there. For everyone else, God bless everyone. See you soon. Love you all.